and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches make a better business and a better world. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting to those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. We'll find out how circular principles can create value, increase resilience and reduce risk to make a competitive, sustainable organisation. You'll find the show notes and links at www.circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to updates and useful resources. Today, we're talking about industrial symbiosis with Elaine Kerr, Deputy Director for International Synergies, Northern Ireland. Symbiosis, the Greek word for living together, is any relationship between different things, people or groups that benefits all those involved. An example from nature is between trees and fungi, which help provide nutrients to each other. Industrial symbioses are an important part of the circular economy, using the principle of waste equals food. In other words, using the waste from one organisation to replace virgin resources for another, at the same time localising supply and reducing costs. One of the most famous and large-scale examples is the Kallenborg Symbiosis Project in Denmark. It started back in 1972 and now there are nine industrial partners exchanging a wide range of materials and resources. There are videos and an interactive map on the Kallenborg Symbiosis website showing the partners and the flows. The links are in the show notes. In practice, it can be hard to find partners, and it needs knowledge, time and effort to set up an exchange network. Building mutual trust between the parties often needs ongoing facilitation and support. And this is where organisations like International Synergies can help out. Have a listen. In today's episode, I'm talking to Elaine Kerr, Deputy Director for International Synergies Northern Ireland. International Synergies was set up in 2005 and is widely acknowledged for its expertise in devising and managing industrial symbiosis programmes. It works with public and private sector clients, institutions, and the research community across five continents. Its approach is often described as the circular economy in action, and it's cited as best practice within the European Waste Framework Directive and by the OECD. Elaine has been a key player in the evolution of Northern Ireland's industrial symbiosis service since it started back in 2007 and she's identified and progressed industrial symbiosis solutions for businesses across all sectors. She's helped businesses save over £25 million, increase their sales by over £16 million, and create over 100 new jobs. These projects have also reduced carbon emissions by over 350,000 tonnes, and have diverted almost 4,000 tonnes, sorry, 400,000 tonnes of waste from landfill. Elaine, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Catherine. So we've just been talking a little bit about um, your background and uh, how you got into the circular economy. So perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about that. 
Yes, um, I, I sort of fell into industrial symbiosis. Um, I've got a very, uh, I suppose you'd call it a checkered background employment-wise, um, ranging across from working within the third sector, predominantly for a period of time, but also within the teaching sector, and then finally within administration, which is how I came into being with um, International Synergies. And it really was like coming home. Um, Work, stepping into a working placement where you just felt, I really like what we're doing. I really like this concept. I can see the benefits of it, not just for people, but for businesses and for society at large. Um, so that, that's really where I'm coming from. Um, and it's, it's been an absolute um, joy just over the last 12 years, seeing my role grow and develop and, and, and just um, in some ways, all the different work experiences I've had over the years, all those different facets all coming together uh, to where I'm using different skills that I thought I might never use again, now back in to do, to manage the programme here in Northern Ireland. Brilliant. And it sounds like um, the programme's been really successful and has progressed well in Northern Ireland. It's been supported by the government as a, as a key um, part of their strategy? It is very much so. It's, it, we're, we're funded through um, the Invest Northern Ireland, who are a, a key public body for, um, for supporting businesses, and they have key targets to meet in terms of um, in increasing productivity and, and really um, maintaining Northern Ireland PLC's um, credibility as an economic, a place of economic benefit. Uh, globally um, and, and so they they saw the opportunity back in 2006 to to look at what sustainability programs do we do we need to bring on board to help businesses be more resource efficient um, and this was at a time before circular economy was even really being spoken about um, and so they just they've discovered what was called NISP, the National Industrial Symbiosis Programme, which is really the flagship um, example of how to do facilitated industrial symbiosis that international synergies model around the world. And so we, we brought that into Northern Ireland as a pilot scheme um, through Invest and I, and they saw, they found even just through that short three month period, the outcomes absolutely staggering in terms of the potential that it could deliver for businesses in Northern Ireland and for the economy. And just from the first four years where we were still operating as NISP, as a national industrial symbiosis programme in Northern Ireland, um, we delivered so well against the targets that Invest and I had given us that when they issued the next contract, they brought it in as their own programme, which meant we had to drop all the NISP um, marketing and everything, but it, and it became an Invest and I uh, programme that they operate and run, which I think really gives testament to the value that they see in the programme for the whole of Northern Ireland. And, and that's just continued every contract. Yeah, brilliant. And just thinking back to that time of, you know, before the circular economy um, sort of uh, came into some of the business lingo. I mean, we, we were saying earlier, it's still not really a, um, a widely known term, but it's becoming more so. But industri industrial symbiosis sounds 
um, even less uh, easy to understand. So when you meet somebody for the first time and explain what you do and what symbiosis is, um, how, how do you explain that simply to people? Yeah, I, I suppose the easiest way to explain it is that it's resource matching for businesses, a bit like speed dating for businesses. Um, so one business material that they can no longer use, whether it's a byproduct or a redundant product, can actually become a fresh raw material for someone else to use. Um, that, in essence, is what, what industrial symbiosis is. It always has benefits for people. Mm -hmm. there's, there's very rarely a major negative involved. Yeah. Resource matching isn't always straightforward. There are inevitably issues that need to be overcome, whether that's in terms of changing behaviour, um, looking at processes that need to be adapted, bringing in new technology, some form of innovation. And those can all cost time and money. But we've always found that the benefits achieved at the end far outweigh any initial investment that's required and that the businesses go away significantly happier with what they've achieved and wanting to do more. Um, it's not an issue. Some people use a service just for single resource issues that maybe there's a, a redundant material, there's been a change in a raw material specification, and so a particular raw material can no longer be used, but it's still perfectly good. The bags have never been opened, so we would find them another organization, another company, usually in a completely different sector, who can take that material and use it to do something else, and that's a win-win for both companies. Mm. And I remember I've used some of the um, NISP case studies um, over the years, um, kind of going back to when I first started talking about sustainability and um, circular economy back in 2010-11. Um, um, and I remember looking at some of the flows between companies and thinking, you know, the matchmaking process must have been really interesting to try and find who could take this ceramic waste or who could take these um, I think eggshells was another one, wasn't it? Yeah. And I guess yeah. that's all part of, of what you do. But how does the process work? You know, if somebody comes along as a company and says, you know, um, we think we've got this, this problem waste or this is costing us a lot to get rid of. Um, how do you then work with them to identify whether is that the, is that the only problem material? Is it the best one to, to, to find a partner for? Um, yeah. How do, you, how do you go about it? We usually start with where the company is itching first. You know, if they've come to us with a particular resource, then we'll, we'll aim to try and find a solution for that resource straight off for them. But um, we will always go and visit the company and take a walk through the site and see the processes from raw material input to product leaving at the other end. Um, so that we can get an overall picture of exactly where they're at in their productivity journey as well as their resource efficiency journey. Um, because sometimes you find that, yes, it would be really nice to sort that issue out, but before you can sort that issue out, there's a couple of other things that maybe you need to do first that would reduce the amount of waste. So we're always looking at waste minimization as, as a, a first port of call so that there's less waste, wasted resources being generated in the first place. Um, 
We have a team of practitioners. Uh, these are, are people who are, have worked within industry, understand the pressures, understand the, the different resource materials that might be arising, and who also take a very innovative approach to seeing a problem not as a, a barrier, but as an obstacle that needs to be maneuvered around or through. Um, so the practitioners will very much take a, an open-eyed view at a problem within a business and say, okay, this is the problem that you have, but did you know that in another country they can do this with that material and use it to make a new product or service? Um, so the practitioners are vital to providing a facilitated service. We do also have our resource matching database that really helps in the delivery of the programme. And um, we're currently moving towards a, an artificial intelligence generated model uh, for that, which will, if you were to put in waste timber, would automatically fire up and say, did you know that in Northern Ireland, waste timber can be taken and used to make new products and new furniture? you know and, and fire up lots of different solutions so that again you're, you're seeing the whole picture and you're not just looking at oh waste wood we just burn it mm. you know that you actually see the variety of, of opportunities that exist for that resource because in Northern Ireland we, we're very SME oriented we don't have a lot of large multinational companies existing here so a lot of the, the resource streams that we're dealing with maybe exist in small quantities but in multiple sites across Northern Ireland maybe across multiple industry sectors as well um, and that creates a whole new problem for resource matching because you're talking about who then is going to do the milk round that will go and lift the materials bring them to a central place and then make sure that they are being reused and not being landfilled or exported to another country for for incineration or whatever. So part of part of your job then um, is creating a kind of resource ecosystem. It's not just about matching company A, creating the waste with company B that can use it. It's identifying across sectors and um, you know regionally within the country. Where else could we get this from? How do we consolidate it? Who's best placed to? Um, you know, do the logistics, the consolidation. Um, yeah. What about quality management? You know, how do we make sure it's all at the spec yeah. that we need? Yeah. Um, so yeah, quite. quite I suppose, yeah, I think probably the best example we've had has been with a, a, a company that approached us and said, "Can you tell us where in Northern Ireland we would find all the post-industrial um, PVC, UPVC that's being generated? Because we would like to make to." make a new product that is actually at least 80% recycled. Um, this was about five or six years ago. And we initially did a piece of research looking at where all this material was in Northern Ireland and the rough quantities that would, were being generated. Um, and then we went back to the company and because of that information that they had, they saw that they could actually invest in a recycling facility on their campus, on their site in Northern Ireland. And they then um, used the connections that we had 
to to get all the waste PVC. They also took post-consumer as well as post-industrial PVC. And they took all that material and used it to, to make, to get the, the right recycle that they needed for their new windows and doors. They then discovered that the pulverizing blades were continually um, becoming blunt and that there was then downtime because the, the blades had to go to France to be sharpened and that they had additional costs because they then found that they were ordering extra blades so that to try and alleviate the downtime, but that there were then still transportation costs and transportation issues if a flight was delayed or something, some other thing happened that, that meant that the blades didn't arrive. Arrived. So we actually introduced them to a local company here who created a blade sharpening tool specific to what they needed here in Northern Ireland so that they didn't need to be going to France to get the blade sharpened and there it's all done in-house. Um, just last week, the uh, uh, another uh, employee from the same company who's been working in England, they haven't been able to generate enough PVC here, uh, waste PVC for the new product. So they've now got a recycling facility in England as well. And they are now using a, a flotation system to separate out the different components of the, the waste PVC. So you've got rubber, metals, plastics, and a range of different plastics as well, some of which they don't want. And they've now asked us, can we help them to find solutions for those materials here in Northern Ireland? So we've gone from just trying to identify where a raw material was that they could use that most other people were calling a waste to actually a situation where the byproduct of their recycling facility now they want to see can those materials be of use to other industries here in Northern Ireland. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, so many spin-offs. Yeah. So many spin-offs. Lots of associated benefits that you just wouldn't have seen when you first started the project. No and more you know benefits going further afield than the original business asking for the for the support yeah. so that's really good yeah it's yeah. amazing how many how many um interconnections you can find between companies and and uh, you know the the thing about the local um, blade sharpening company that's a good story isn't it that they suddenly had a a new yeah. customer and a new service and yeah, yeah, and and you know the 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 beauty of it is that you're you, this whole thing kicked off before we had David David Attenborough talking about the plastic in our oceans. Now it's it existed, um, and this plastics company were probably aware of it, but this was prior to the public really grasping the concept that we need to be being more careful with what we do with our materials and you know crying out and saying what about our wonky vegetables why are we discarding those you know so it's it's when people start to change their behavior they become open to more innovative ideas and they become less restrictive in their thinking and they they start to to see the opportunities that exist to do something better than it was previously done before. Now you can't always um, improve a round wheel. A wheel is always round, 
but what you can do is is improve the spokes that are making that wheel um, achieve what it's trying to achieve and essentially that's what industrial symbiosis is looking at is looking at what if we what are we going to do about all our food waste well 12 years ago anaerobic digestion wasn't really known about either but nowadays we've got anaerobic digestion plants that will take all the organic wastes that are being generated and process that so that there is no waste byproduct from that process all the byproducts from that process become energy heat and a fertilizer that can be spread on on land you know that is that is ultimately where we need to be going where there is no such thing as waste because industrial symbiosis is built around this concept that in our natural ecosystem there is no waste all our all our ecosystem microorganisms animals plants all work together to achieve benefit for everybody so what one plant or animal discards as a waste another organism takes it and uses it and does something beneficial with it and that benefits not just them but the environment that they're in and that's where we're trying to get not just people to move to but organizations and businesses to move to to understand that productivity and environmental compliance are are two complementary strands Mm, what yeah. any business should be doing and what any community should be doing yeah so to help really see the opportunities not just the not just see it as something that they've got to comply with which is then seen as an on-cost but looking at all the different opportunities and thinking about wait if if i think of waste as a food which business can it be a food for and how much you know what's the highest value i can extract from that food i've just done a blog about why um you know recycling isn't isn't the solution and looking yeah. at a lot of the issues with um you know downcycling and that's what um has happened with the countries in the far east who've stopped import of recycled um, waste streams from you know i think for malaysia it was 12 different countries involved who were sending them you know contaminated waste that was supposed to be um, you know, straightforward card or plastic or whatever, but it was actually contaminated with food and um, yeah. all sorts of things that not only made it, um, you know, dangerous for um, the recyclers' health, but maybe yeah. they couldn't then turn it into a high-quality resource. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, I think it's um, businesses are starting to think more about resource security and, yeah. you know, wouldn't it be better if I found a recycled source of materials instead of relying on virgin materials being manufactured yeah. from ever more expensive, geopolitically complicated, you know, open to tariffs or export restrictions. You know, if I, if I had my own local secured um, recycled or renewable resource, then, you know, that means I don't have to worry about that long term. That's right. I mean, a, a very um, obvious move that, that I've seen in the last three to five years is the, the younger entrepreneurs that are coming through now are actually looking for, for materials that are, are being made redundant by another company to make into a new product. Um, the most obvious example that we have here in Northern Ireland is a, she's a sole trader. She's a fashion designer. She's um, basically designing yoga bags, but she wanted those yoga bags to be made from 
and industrial waste material. So we introduced her to three different companies that had three very different kinds of plastic material that she could take and trial and see which made the best bags, the bags that were more attractive to consumers and that were the more practical in terms of keeping rain out and not ripping, things like that. And she opted for the lorry tarpaulins and for material that was being used for making life rafts and other life-saving equipment. And that is saving those companies who are generating those materials significantly on at least £150 a tonne on landfill diversion. And then in addition to that, by her actually taking those materials and making them into yoga bags, she's got a high-end product that she's able to sell internationally, not just locally here in Northern Ireland. Mm. We're seeing more, more entrepreneurs coming to us and saying, this is my business model. I want recyclability. I want redesigning of materials to be a core feature of what we do, um, rather than just to be producing a high-end bag out of virgin material that's costing our planet thousands and millions of pounds, never mind the future of our planet being um, in question. Um, they're, they're building that into what they're doing and they're wanting to move that direction. The, the other big shift that we've seen is, is around our social enterprises as well. Social enterprises historically would tend to, to shift what the, the projects that they do focused purely on where they can get the funding to do what they're doing. So if a social enterprise was looking to support people with learning difficulties or who were long-term unemployed or homeless, um, they would have been looking for where can we get the biggest amount of money for a three-year period. But once that money went, they then went somewhere else and did something completely different. What we're finding now is that some of our social enterprises are actually saying, we want to have a project that provides us a continuous funding stream and that is actually a business model that we can maintain ourselves. So we have some social enterprises who are going around the local industries and gathering in their dry mixed recyclables and taking those and selling them and, and segregating those out, sorting them, selling them on then for profit that they then have as a baseline for themselves. One of the social enterprises has actually gone as far as buying an injection moulding piece of equipment and they are actually now looking to make plastic uh, widgets that a local manufacturer can actually use. So they will not be just taking waste plastic and sorting it, but they're actually going to take the waste plastic, make a new product and sell it back into a local industry. That is circularity, and that is circularity that is benefiting economically, environmentally, and society, society as a whole. Because a lot of these young people don't have any other option. They won't hold down the kind of job that I might have or whatever, but they're finding value in the world in which they live, and they're, they're gaining momentum and confidence in their own skills and abilities as well. Yeah, that's a brilliant. And I think it helps with the 
the kind of story and the purpose of what you're doing as well. People can feel proud of not just making a widget, but sorting out a problem with a, a you know yeah. a difficult waste. Um, and so the people involved in making the widgets feel better about what they're doing yeah. um, because they're creating value out of a waste. And both businesses, um, you know, have better stories to tell to their customers, employees and suppliers as well. Um, so not only is it bringing financial value into the social enterprise to help them fund, um, you know, education or support or whatever it is, but everybody feels like they're doing their bit to help um, you know, avoid yeah. some of the, the um, horrific problems that we've created for ourselves with this take, make, waste mentality. Yeah, yeah. So, excellent. So, um, how do you feel the circular economy is progressing in general and, and is there anything that you would wish for, you know, in policy terms to help it gain, gain pace? I think we're we're gaining momentum. It is like a wheel. It is gradually picking up speed. And I, I do think that some of the the behaviour change that is happening in society as a whole around plastics, uh, in particular in single-use plastics, is really going to help to to drive industry to seeing that they need to be more resource efficient in how they design their products and how they um, how they achieve their profitability um, and do they continue to do it um, at a cost to our environment or not. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges we still face is, is actually at a higher level. It's, it's getting, we've, we've now got industrial symbiosis being accepted within the EU as part of the Waste Framework Directive and being seen as a very valuable tool to achieving resource efficiency. But how do you get that from a concept down into the nitty gritty within any economy is always going to be difficult because you need to weigh and balance the policy issues that exist around avoiding fly tipping, illegal waste dumping. Um, all of those things are, are major, major issues. And even the terminology we use, I mean, Within the Waste Framework Directive, it talks about waste being something we discard. What one person discards or views as something discardable actually isn't a waste. It's a byproduct. It's just not of use to them. And so we need to be very careful about how we define what a waste is. And actually, I prefer to say wasted resources or underutilized resources rather than actually use the word waste. So I think there's still a lot of movement needed in terms of how we talk about the materials that we have and the, the things that we don't need anymore and understand that just because we don't need it doesn't mean it's a waste. Um, it's, it's just in the wrong place at the wrong time and needs to find a new home. Yeah. And ultimately, I think that's that's still a major issue is how you you find those solutions. And I do think that the facilitated industrial symbiosis approach is certainly at the minute seems to be the only one that is actually achieving on a long term basis. The, the, the programme we deliver here in Northern Ireland is the longest running facilitated industrial symbiosis programme in the world. 
there have been a number of other programs like the Kallenberg program that don't have any support for them that probably could be achieving an awful lot more if there was actually people on the ground there to help to massage and overcome the problems and generate the new ideas that actually need to be generated. We were approached by a waste management company who came to us and said, we have all these thermal protective aids that are used for emergency relief have never come out of their bags, but they can no longer be used where they're currently at the minute because their their policy states that once it's five years old, it has to be discarded. These have never been opened, never used. Very, very useful sleeping bags, basically. So our immediate thought was these need to go to where there is need in Syria, emergency relief, aid, those kinds of places. But when we approached the various agencies, none of them wanted to pay for the transportation of them from Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland's out in the middle of nowhere. So we then thought, well, we have a problem with homelessness here in Northern Ireland. And we approached a range of different organizations who are working with homeless um, people. And they lapped every single one, all seven tons of these sleeping bags up and use them to support people who are homeless. Um, that's the kind of thing that we need to be seeing more of and that can only work when you've got somebody who's actually doing the groundwork. When you're running a business, your sole aim is to get from one end of the week to the other, be able to pay the wages, cover your raw material costs and have your final product meeting the demands of the orders that are going out. So by having somebody else there to actually overcome the obstacles for you and give you the introductions that you need to the various solutions immediately takes the headache away. That particular um, issue would have saved if you've got seven tons and you multiply that by 150 pounds a ton, there's a significant cost saving to a waste management company and to a business in terms of not having to pay for that to be disposed of. And, and that's really, that's how facilitated IS works. It, it goes in and it helps to solve the problems. Having said that, we still haven't solved all the problems of all our resources here in Northern Ireland. We have over 700 tonnes of waste, of, of spent coffee grinds generated a year, just in Northern Ireland. That's 700, and that doesn't include hospitals, public sector bodies, that's just restaurants and cafes. Spent coffee grounds are a rich, rich ingredient full of nutrients that can be used for biodiesels, for new product development, for health and beauty products, for furniture manufacturing. And in fact, somebody just very recently has been making, making light fittings out of spent coffee grounds. But we have no facility here in Northern Ireland to take that material and use it for any of those means. Instead, that is going into our anaerobic digestion facilities. But when a large quantity of it goes into an anaerobic digester, they then have to alter the other enzymes that go in because the, it's such a potent 
mix of, of, of materials. So we've got lots of resources that still need solutions. And it's just lovely seeing that Invest and I are not just saying this is helping us meet our targets for government, but that this programme has the potential in the future to continue to meet the needs of our businesses and of our society, and that there are opportunities here to, to create new businesses and to, to find solutions for all our waste here in Northern Ireland, so that nothing we have is actually then being shipped out as an exported waste to places like Malaysia or China or anywhere mm -hmm. like that, that essentially we take responsibility for the materials that we have, for the materials that we don't need anymore, and we actually try and do something with them ourselves rather than mm -hmm. pass them off to somebody else. Yeah, thinking of waste as a food and thinking about what's the highest value I can achieve. The coffee is a really good example. Um, I um, have a case study in my, my book on um, coffee and a, and a slide showing all the different ways that waste coffee grounds can be reused and um, my favorite was um, a company the, the company that I profiled was called uh, Green Cup and so they um, offer a full service to uh, cafes and so on so they provide the coffee the coffee machine and then they'll collect the grounds afterwards in, in London and so on um, and the grounds go back into fertilizer, but have also been used to even even make a 3D printing filament, which they used to make the outer of a of the coffee machine. So it kind of went full circle back to the um, fantastic to the cafe. But yeah, coffee flour and jewelry and all sorts of quite high value products. Yeah. So it's it's one of the kind of untapped resources. And yeah. yes, you can get energy out of it, but as you say just trying to put it through anaerobic digestion creates problems because it's quite you know acidic and it's you know it, it so it's not ideal for that and it's all about how do we encourage people and and help them know where to find the ideas so this is the kind of you know you can do that as a matchmaking thing but i think the developments for the app and using artificial intelligence to, to start yeah. joining up all the ideas and innovations around the world I know about 10 things you could do with coffee. There's probably 50 or 100. Yeah. Search worldwide and found all the different things. You know, they could all be creating local micro businesses or helping social enterprises or helping bigger businesses and so on. Yeah. So it's just this different mindset, isn't it? Of thinking, it is. How do I squeeze? I've paid for this resource. I've paid for this coffee bean. Yeah. How do I squeeze the most money and value out yeah. of that instead of having yeah. to pay for it to go to yeah. landfill? Yeah, and I guess um, it's worth mentioning, um, and you may have come across this, but the consultancy Circle Economy have a Circle Lab online database. I've contributed some case studies to that, and it's got over two thousand different examples, and it's you know it's quite searchable. Yeah. Um, so um, I'll I'll put links to that in the show notes for people right. who have come across it before. So great. Do you have any, we've, we've talked a little bit about the, um, the app and so on. Do you have any other future plans that you want to tell us about today for International Synergies? I think really we, we just, as a, an organisation, want to see industrial symbiosis really being captured globally. Uh, we've gone from in 2005 to just having a UK broad and two or three other countries across the world doing industrial symbiosis to having over 30 projects now across the world in all continents. 
but there's so much more that needs to be done in in this area um, and I suppose industrial symbiosis to me is the oil that makes a circular economy work. It's the actual introductions, it's the ideas, it's the innovations that make the whole thing come together so that we end up with a society where there is no such thing as waste, where we appreciate and benefit and recognize that what is no longer of use to us is a valuable resource for somebody else. Invest and I locally in Northern Ireland are showing their continued commitment to industrial symbiosis by just tendering for a longer term programme beginning on the 1st of October this year. We obviously would love to win that contract again and to see ourselves just build on. The last 12 years has been scratching the itch and starting to waking people up to the idea and the concept and the reality and the benefits of what can be done. What I would love to see happen over the next five to ten years is industrial symbiosis and circular economy be very much how Northern Ireland does its business and lives its life. That everything that we do and everything we are is circular in its approach. That we don't just discard things and throw them away and say that's no use to me but we actually then go actively and look and find someone else who can take it and use it i think that's my that's my ultimate goal for industrial symbiosis and the circular economy is to see a, a place and a planet and in a business environment where everyone wins and everyone benefits and everyone is happy and we're not seeing seahorses with plastic attached to them and seabirds dying because you know they've eaten too much plastic you know we need to move away from that we need to provide an environment that is beneficial not just for the human race but for all the creatures that are sharing this planet with us absolutely and all the creatures that we depend on for our ultimate survival exactly yeah excellent so thank you so much, Elaine. Um, that was really interesting. And I think, um, you know, the difference that you've made already to Northern Ireland and your ambitions for the future, um, you know, are really inspiring. And um, you've explained how industrial symbiosis can really add value to businesses in different ways. So hopefully that gives our listeners lots to ponder over. And how could people get in touch with international synergies and, and with you? Yes, I'll, I'll give you some links that you can share. The, the, the easiest one is through telephone and email. We love to talk. Great. And I'll put those in the show notes. Excellent. Thank you so much, Elaine. Thank you very much indeed, Catherine. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one? Head over to rethinkglobal.info or buy my book, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains, which takes you through the practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. You can get in touch via the website, rethinkglobal.info, or send us a tweet, at rethink underscore global. Please let us know what you think of the podcast, and you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time. 